Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. If you want to turn your Bibles or devices over to Daniel 5. Uh, this morning's text is also at edmundheritage.church slash Sunday in the uh, worship PDF if you'd like to follow along there as well. We're in a series where we are working through the narrative portion of the book of Daniel. Uh, the first half of Daniel, the first six chapters, are six stories of Daniel and his friends and demonstrating incredible faith and incredibly intense circumstances. And in Daniel chapter 5, is uh, follows, uh, follows right along, follows suit here of, of incredible faith in the midst of pretty intense trying circumstances. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 this morning. When I was in high school, I played uh, I played quite a bit of golf. Um, living close to a golf course and play, I had friends who played golf. I played golf, and um, I remember one particular instance as a teenager going out to play golf with some of my friends. And and I, I was in the uh, I was in the back nine. I wasn't having a great day of golf. And I remember this one particular shot. I was in the I was in the fairway, but the shot was just awful. The ball didn't go any more than 10 yards from me. And in frustration, what I did was I took that club and I threw it as far as I possibly could in frustration. And as I did that, I noticed on the cart path to my right was a couple and they were coming the opposite way. And as they drove by me in my frustration, I heard the nice lady in the cart say, he threw that club further. The club did go further than the ball. And in that moment, as I reflect on it anyways, I realize that it was a pretty humiliating moment. Um, and golf can do that. You know, there can be these moments where you think you have it, you think everything is going well, and you can have these moments where maybe it's out of frustration or anxiousness. Perhaps there are moments of, of, great, of, of, of great anger. We act in a certain way that is maybe not our best moments. You know, uh, it's often said that golf is a, is a game of humility, and there's a difference here, though, that I, I want to point out, because humility is not humiliation. Being a humble person does not mean that you and I need to put ourselves in humiliating moments. The, golf, uh, the game of golf can humble us just like anything in life. But in those moments where things aren't going our way, when things seem to be out of control, when we act out of anxious time habits, as we've said just a few weeks ago, are we living in humility or humiliation. Um, Daniel chapter 5, I think, is a really good place for us to think about this. Because in Daniel chapter 5, and here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read most of Daniel chapter 5 before I get two takeaways from this particular story of Daniel and King Belshazzar. And I want to look at the context, I want to look at the story, and I want us to pull away a couple of things that I think will benefit every single one of us. 
because we find ourselves in circumstances and moments that are completely out of our control. Things aren't maybe going the way we want them to go. And if you haven't noticed or picked up on this particular theme through Daniel, this seems to be a pretty big thread in this narrative portion of Daniel's book. That things don't always go the way you want them to go. Circumstances are often out of our control. Things that that we don't have uh, control over go a different way. And they can cause anxious time habits, as I've said before. They can cause anger or fear to begin to dictate how we move and act and function. Daniel and his friends are taken away from their homes. They're put into a service that they weren't asked if they wanted to be in, into the king's service. It's a circumstance to which Daniel and his friends did not ask to be in. Daniel faces his executioner in Daniel chapter 2, who comes knocking at his door in the night. Daniel didn't ask or nor want his executioner to be there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves up against the king's edict to bow down to his gold statue. And what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do is they face the fiery furnace because their faith led them there. Daniel, once again, in Daniel 4, finds himself in a moment where, where the king is asking for his advice on a dream. Daniel doesn't want glory. Daniel doesn't want prestige. Daniel wants God to be at the center of his message. And what does Daniel do? He says, God is asking for repentance. Circumstances out of their control, out of their hands, and faith over and over over again. Not fear, not anxiousness, not anger drives them to their decisions. So let's pick up in Daniel chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 1. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, Bronze, iron, wood, stone. Let's pause there for just a moment because it's it's worth making note of a couple of things. Time has moved on in Daniel's life, in Daniel and his friends' lives. There's a new king, King Belshazzar, which is different. It's a different name than Daniel's Babylonian name, which is Belshazzar. Very similar. And Nebuchadnezzar's successor, as we learn in the first four verses, is a self-centered, self-seeking, pleasured man. He wants what he wants, and he gets what he wants, and he does what he wants to get what he wants. And here, he wants to have a party because he wants what he wants. And I think what Belshazzar, King Belshazzar is 
doing that we can all relate to is he's creating circumstances that he wants. In this case, is he's creating a party with his friends. He wants it a certain way. We do that. We work. We do. We function. We go about our lives to create what we think might be the idealistic, the right, the best for us. And in that sense, King Belshazzar is no different. He's creating circumstance. He's building a circumstance that he wants, that he likes. The story goes on, picking up at verse 5. And suddenly, in the middle of this party, they saw fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Let's pause there for just a moment. Um, I introduced my younger kids recently to the classic TV show, The Addams Family. You know what show this is? Yes. Um, there was a channel that was just playing all these classic Adams Family. We watched a couple of them not too long ago. And uh, the great thing about the Adams Family is, is when outsiders enter into the Adams Family's home, they're always in shock. They're always in fear, right? Um, uh, whether it's Lurch or whether it's uh, Uncle Fester, but it's always thing that gets everyone's attention that enters the Adams home. Because it's a disembodied hand that's going around and serving and helping, and 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 we can think of that in this moment. But this isn't this isn't a quirky, fun sitcom. Daniel chapter five is a scary, scary story. Because God disrupts the moment and the party and the situation. In a creepy, scary way to get his message across. And, and now, first, let's notice how Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, re reacts to this scary moment. He's frightened as he should be. But King Belshazzar turns to the wise and the smart, or at least the, uh, the, the wise and smartest people of his court of his day. The story goes on. And Belshazzar reacts in anxious time habits. King Belshazzar reacts out of fear in this moment. He needs to know what the hand has written. He can't decipher what it means. And so he calls on the wise people of his day. Belshazzar does this because he wants answers to his situation for his comfort. Now, it would seem, as the story goes, it's okay. If they're online, they just got blown over. Sorry, everyone who's online, if you can hear me. The wind just blew them right over. Thank you, Lucy. Now, it would seem, as the story goes, King Belshazzar doesn't know of Daniel. Daniel has been removed from the king's court. So, as the verses go... Um, King Belshazzar grows more and more anxious and fearful in the moment because no one can tell him what the words that the, 
that the scary hand wrote on the wall says. It's Belshazzar's mother that reminds him of Daniel. And Daniel enters into the story. The king offers him great riches and great prestige if he can tell him what did the hand say. Let's pick up in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 5. Daniel says, keep your gifts. Give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled him uh, before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill. He spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor, and he disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal, and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Verse 22, you are his, his successor, O Belshazzar. You know all of this, and yet you have not humbled yourself. You have proudly defied the Lord of heaven. You have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor anything at all. But you've honored the God, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life that controls your destiny. So God has sent his hand to write this message. And this is what the message means. Many, many tackle parson. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought an end to it. Tackle means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, as Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain that was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. The very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed, and Darius the Mede took the kingdom at the age of 62. Two things I want to point out this morning from Daniel chapter 5. And the first is this. Pride prefers gods who neither see nor hear nor know. This is Belshazzar summed up. He would prefer to have gods that do not interfere with what he perceives to be the right course of action in his life. He would rather worship gold or iron or stone or wood because they do not talk back and interfere into our lives. And this really got me thinking this week. How often, not in the sense of, of literally or physically worshiping wood, stone, and, 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 and 
and anything like that. But how often do I prefer the gods who will not talk back to me? How often do I turn to the ways of a world that says, it's okay, you do you? Belshazzar finds himself in a place where he gets what he wants and he does what he wants so that he gets everything that he wants. And I'm wondering, how different is that from us? How different is it for us to be people who who work and strive and play to get what we want the way we want it because that's the way we see all things ought to go? We comment here and there. We go there and over there. We work for this and that and we move and we function as people not much different than King Belshazzar. People who want and desire. How often do I prefer prefer the God who doesn't see or hear or know? I think in a lot of ways, Daniel 4 and 5 can go together in this sense, because in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar is told in the dream that God is going to come and cut you down. Repent. And in some ways, Daniel is telling King Belshazzar this. He's, he's reminding him that you know what has happened in history, yet you've ignored what has happened to your father. The one who's living with wild animals. He did not repent. He ignored the majesty and the glory and the presence and the position of God. And you, Belshazzar, you may know of God, but you aren't living for God. You prefer the gods who don't see or hear or know because those kinds of gods aren't going to tell you that you're doing things wrong. They aren't going to encourage you. They aren't going to push you. They aren't going to move you. They aren't going to call you into action. I mean, when Jesus calls his disciples, he's got two words. And those two words don't give agenda. Those two words do not give a destination. Those two words do not give insight into what is to come for these disciples' life. He says, follow me. And those callings of those disciples by Jesus Christ is a calling for a God who will hear, who will see, and does know all things. He is going to push, and he is going to encourage, and he is going to teach, and he is going to ask a lot. He's going to ask that you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him every single day, even on your weekends. I love how the Gospel of John begins his Gospel, because John wants you to understand from the very beginning, that this story of Jesus that he is going to tell, the story of Christ, is a story of God. And this God who came to be with us was there from the very beginning, he says. I just want to read one verse from John's opening verses in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 4. The Word, as John calls Jesus, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now what John does, at least in the, as, as we kind of 
pay attention to John chapter 1, verse 4 for just a moment. What, what John is, is notifying his readers is that this God sees, hears, and knows. This God is not deaf, and he is not blind, and he is not ignorant. This God knows because this is the God of life. This is the God who came into your life, and this is the God who knows your life. This is the God who knows who you are. This is the God who is active and alive. He has given life to everything that has been created. And that life has brought light into our lives. Pridefulness is about self. Pridefulness wants the gods who ignore what we are doing, our actions and our thoughts and our desires. Pridefulness says, I am the center of all things. And guess what? You should come along with me. You should understand things the way I understand them. Pride says, I've got this figured out. Pride says, you know what? These, these, these in, in, incredibly intense and complex social dynamics, I figured it out. Just listen to me. Pridefulness wants nothing to do with the God who gives life to everybody, of every nation, of every race, throughout all time. Now what does Daniel tell King Belshazzar? Think about it in this way. He says, one, you have ignored the past. You haven't learned from what has happened before you. Because you prefer ignorance. You prefer the gods who don't know or talk back to you. And he says, you, king, you have been numbered, weighed, and divided because of your pridefulness. Because you haven't humbled yourself. So secondly, humility is position. Humility is position. And now I, I want to go back to where I began all of this this morning. And I need us to understand that when we talk about humbling yourself before God, we are not talking about humility before others. We are talking about us paying attention to who is God and who is not. And guess what? I often have to remind myself that I am not God. And that my God is the God of life. And he is the God who hears and the God who sees and the God who knows all things. He knows me. He knows my weaknesses and my sin and he knows my shortcomings. And yet my God still chooses to be in my life. And it's me understanding that my position is to be in his presence. Is to be in his place, at his feet. To know that I am not the center, that I am not the beginning and the end. That is the one who came to give life to all people. Now, uh, for just a moment, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and, and in one of his more uh, well-known passages of Scripture here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this to the church, I'm reading out the New Living Translation, but picking up in Philippians 2 verse 3, don't be selfish, 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, I want to read the the poem in just a moment, but hear what Paul is saying to the church. Now, this, this can be applied to individuality, but Paul's writing to a community. He's writing to a church. This church didn't have a building either. This church probably wasn't in a parking lot, but this church felt often scattered and alone, perhaps. Church that met in homes. Church that met often. And what he wants the church to understand is that your community is not built around you. Church isn't about you. It's not about me. At the very center of these gatherings, of these of these communities that are built in the name of Jesus Christ, at the very core, at the very heart of this community is the existence and presence of God. It's the God who chops down trees. The God who shows up and writes scary messages. God who comes in flesh gets life. It's here in community that we learn what it's like to not be selfish. To not need to impress others. It's here in community that we can practice and live out the greatest commandment loving our Father and making sure that we have the interest of others first. Paul summarizes all this for the community, for the church in Jesus Christ's name to know to know it goes on thinking up in verse 6 the poem goes Talking about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says nothing about, Paul doesn't cite this this song or this poem, and it says nothing about ideal circumstances. Having things figured out, it's about attitude and position, humbling yourself before God and God alone, bringing yourself to the presence of the Christ who went to the cross. Because, you know, if this was about ideal circumstances, then Jesus may have had a different kind of attitude. It was about humbling himself. Jesus humbled himself daily in the presence of his Father. 
because God was first. And this is why baptism is so important. If you have not been baptized, baptism is the act, is decision, it is the confession of life. That in death to this world I will live forever in the presence of God. And if you have been baptized, we need to be remembered to be obedient children to that calling. To the calling of life. To the calling of the God who calls us to have a humble position. To bring that attitude of selflessness in the interest of others first. So Daniel's offered riches. He's given riches. This is not why Daniel does what he does in Daniel chapter 5. What we've noticed over these last uh, four stories of Daniel, Daniel 3 being uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story, but what we've noticed about Daniel in, four, in these three stories, or four stories, excuse me, so far, is that Daniel is concerned about his position with God, his attitude towards his father. He cares about other people. He's cared about Nebuchadnezzar, and he cares about Belshazzar because he puts God first. If we can use some of the language of today, Daniel wants to live out the faith in all circumstances. And so, this morning, your invitation is to leave this beautiful day and this wonderful gathering. Not because you feel good about it, but because God has called you to be his child that goes in his name. One who knows that you have been weighed, numbered, and even divided, and God is calling for repentance. God is calling for attitude. God is calling for our humble positions. So as Alan makes his way up, We'll sing one more song this morning. And you're invited. You're invited to respond to the word of God. You're invited to be right where you are and to know that God, our Jesus, came with the attitude of humility. Let's sing together.